You're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. Hi Church, today's reading is from 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verses 35 to 58. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? You foolish person, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen and to each kind of seed its own body. For not all flesh is the same. There is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds and another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind and the glory of the earthly is of another. There is one glory of the sun and another glory of the moon and another glory of the stars. For star differs from star in glory. So is it with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, the first man Adam became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. Tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on imperishable, and when the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the works of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labour is not in vain. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. G'day City on a Hill Digital. My name is Dave Myers. It is my honor to serve as the pastor of City on a Hill Brisbane. And man, what a feast we have this day as we consider 1 Corinthians chapter 15 together. Why don't we pray that God would be at work right now as we reflect on the word that we've just heard. Let's pray to him together. 
our gracious God and loving Heavenly Father, we ask that you would give us faith to receive your word. Father, we thank you that all scripture is breathed out by you and it is profitable for teaching, reproof, correction and training in righteousness. Father, by the illumination of your Holy Spirit, give us the understanding to know what your word means and the will to put it into practice. And we pray this through Jesus Christ, our risen, ruling and returning King. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. Uh, Well, my daughter, Beth, she's six years old and she has a beautiful faith in and love for the Lord Jesus Christ. She loves to sing and speak about Jesus and she is sharp. She is sharp with the questions that she asks. Now, one regular topic that she comes back to is regarding the nature of heaven and the life to come. Just this past week, uh, she asked me some insightful questions about our resurrection bodies. Specifically, she asked about two of her siblings uh, who miscarried and died in the womb. She said this, Daddy, will they be babies in heaven or will they have bigger bodies? And I said, that's an incredible question, Beth. You need to tune into my sermon on 1 Corinthians 15 this coming weekend. It's a profound question though, right? And 1 Corinthians chapter 15 does, in part at least, deal with some of these questions. Now, in this three-part series on the resurrection from 1 Corinthians 15, uh, Pastor Andy uh, spoke in week one on the historical reality of Christ's resurrection. Uh, In week two, last week, Pastor Luke spoke on the theological reality of Christ's resurrection and our resurrection. And this week, we consider some... Something of what our bodies will be like and some practical implications of the resurrection. What will our resurrection be like? It's an, it's an important question to consider because perhaps you have questions about little ones who have died in the womb. Perhaps you've had a body that has experienced much trauma. Or perhaps you've struggled with your own body image. Or or, or it might just be that you are acutely aware that your body is aging and wasting away. What will our resurrection be like? Well, that's the question we're going to ask as we consider 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning at 35 to the end of the chapter. This is our second last week in our teaching series on 1 Corinthians 1, Crisis in Corinth. But have you got the question? What will our resurrection be like? Straight up, I can't wait. I'm going to give you the answers to this question. Uh, First, it will be glorious. And second, it will be victorious, glorious and victorious. What will our resurrection be like? Well, number one, it will be glorious. Let's pick it up straight away. Verse 35, it says, But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? You see, Paul is responding to their questions that they've already asked about the nature of how we are raised. You know, perhaps they've even got doubts about how it's even possible. They, they knew that it didn't take long for the body to decompose. And it's almost like they're saying, come on, Paul, how, how is this even possible? Haven't their bodies rotted away? His answer Look at it in verse 36. It's strong. You foolish person! Exclamation mark. He says, don't you get it? You're you're all pretending this is much more mysterious than it is. And he then goes on to share examples of 
how it's possible and even in their experience already to consider how death precedes life. Look at it as verse 36 continues. It says, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen and to each kind of seed its own body. You see, Paul uses this example of a seed. The seed, in one sense, must be dead and buried in order for a new and better body to exist and to spring forth from the ground. You know, likewise with our bodies, they will die. They will be buried. But then God gives us a new body. You know, verse 39, Paul continues to use this idea, uh, to use ideas that they're already familiar with. Uh, He continues, for not all flesh is the same, but there is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind and the glory of the earthly is of another. There is one glory of the sun and another glory of the moon and another glory of the stars. For stars differs, star differs from star in glory. You see what he's saying? There are different types of bodies. You know this. You've known this since creation. And there are different types of glories. Again, you've known this and you've known this since creation. But then what Paul does is he really slows down to help his readers then and his readers now know that we will have new bodies with an even greater glory. Check out the contrast as he continues with the seed being sown. Verse 42, it says, so it is with the resurrection of the dead. He makes the link. What is sown is perishable, but what is raised is imperishable. You know, our bodies now, your body now is perishable. But our resurrection bodies, how good is this? Will be imperishable. Never to die again. He continues, verse 43. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. There is nothing honorable about a body that is decaying. And yet our resurrection bodies, there will be nothing dishonorable. Only glory. Only honor. It continues, verse 43, it is sown in weakness and it is raised in power. This is good news, right? I doubt there's anyone watching this sermon who isn't aware of their weakness. Perhaps the last six months have reminded you of your weakness and the way that you lack power to change your own circumstances. The good news is if your trust is in Christ, you will be raised by God in power. Verse 44, it is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. And if there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. You know, sown a natural body, raised a spiritual body, isn't just saying that we will be ghosts, you know, floating throughout eternity. We will be physical bodies, but we'll be physical bodies that are spiritual bodies, again, that are never to die again. You know, we already heard last week in the section that Pastor Luke preached on a comparison between the first Adam and the last Adam Jesus. And here we have another reference to it. Pick it up with me there in verse 45. Thus it is written, the first man Adam became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it's not the spiritual that is first, but the natural and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. 
as was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. How good is that? Jesus is the true and better Adam. Remember, Adam in the opening chapters of the Bible was given dominion to rule the world under God's authority. But Adam failed to trust in the word of God. Adam failed to trust in the goodness of God. And yet in Jesus, the last Adam, we have one who always lived under his father's authority. Can you see this? This is remarkable news. Can you see what the man of heaven is offering to to do for children of the dust? You see, at creation, we see that Adam was made in the image of God. And yet in the new creation, those who trust in Christ will be remade in the image of Christ. We are all made in the image of God and the offer of God through Christ in his death and resurrection is that we will be remade in the image of Christ. You see, the promise of Jesus is not just to return to the garden of creation. It's not returning back to something that death and sin could enter into. The promise of Jesus is that we will be raised for eternity in a new creation, a better creation than the first creation, the city of God with glorious new bodies. You see, the promise of resurrection life, it's not just a a resuscitation. Sure, there will be some level of continuity with our identity in this life, in the life and the age to come, but there will also be difference. Leon Morris says this about this section. He says, it is fundamental to Paul's thought that the afterlife will be infinitely more glorious than this one. The afterlife will be infinitely more glorious than this one. I think when we catch a glimpse of how glorious our resurrection bodies will be, it ought to make us long all the more for them, to be clothed in them. You know what? Sometimes I think we are too satisfied with our earthly bodies and existence, trying to even create around us within our orbit heaven in this life. But we need to know, we need to look up and look ahead at our resurrection and know that it will be glorious. You know, for a long time, I've uh, been encouraged by the story of uh, Joni Erickson Tata. Uh, she's now in her 70s, and Joni actually broke her neck as a 17-year-old as she jumped uh, to do a flip off a raft into shallow water, and she's spent the last 50-plus years paralyzed. Now, uh, Joni is um, a wonderful Bible teacher and has done some uh, excellent writing. And one of the things that I've seen her write about before, though, is her struggle with her story over those 50 plus years, with God not answering her prayer to be healed. And yet, in the midst of the disappointment of not having that prayer for healing of her paralysis answered with a yes, she, because of the death and resurrection of Jesus. She has hope beyond this life and beyond this body. I love this quote from a recent article on the Gospel Coalition website by Joni. She says this quote, Does God miraculously heal? Sure he does. But in this broken world, it's still the exception, not the rule. A no answer to my request for a miraculous physical healing has meant 
purged sin, a love for the lost, increased compassion, stretched hope, an appetite for grace, an increase of faith, a happy longing for heaven, a desire to serve, a delight in prayer, and a hunger for his word. Remarkable. You know, most of us are are not paralyzed. But she has a heavenly perspective on her suffering that we can learn from in whatever affliction, disappointment, grief, anxiety that we currently or in the future will face. Do we have a stretched hope? Do we have an increased faith? Do we have a happy longing for heaven? You know, each day as we scroll our news feeds, as we listen to breakfast radio, we are, we are reminded, are we not, of the brokenness in our world? And each day, as our lives roll on, we're reminded, reminded of the brokenness in our own bodies. Let us all the more, therefore, long for the glorious resurrection that is a certain hope for all who trust in Christ Jesus. What will our resurrection be like? Well, number one, it will be glorious. That takes us to number two, it will be victorious. Number one, glorious. Number two, victorious. Now, who doesn't like celebrating a victory? We celebrate victories all the time. We celebrate victories in our workplace, victories in our sporting teams, victories in our personal lives. But we also get swept up in the victories of others that impact us. Uh, Liverpool Football Club, uh, they play soccer, football, in the English Premier League, one of the best competitions in the world. And for the very first time, they won the English Premier League. They'd won plenty of times before it was called the Premier League. But this season, they won the Premier League for the very first time. And that victory is sweet for a long-time Liverpool supporter. Now, here's the thing. I didn't play the game. I didn't coach the team. I didn't do anything to change the outcome of any game. Trust me. Getting up at 3 a.m. in the morning to watch a game on the other side of the planet and vibing my team to victory via Optus Sport does not quite cut the mustard. I had nothing to do with anything that they did on the park. And yet, when they won, I could not help but sing in the victory. I could not help but dance. I could not help but put a celebratory post or 10 on Instagram. You see, their victory impacted me as one who has supported them for over 30 years. Their victory became my victory. Now, because of Jesus' resurrection from the dead, we get to share in his victory. And it is so much greater than any sporting victory, than any political victory. The victory that Christ won through his resurrection is a victory we get to celebrate for eternity. We share in the winnings. We share in the spoils of Christ's resurrection for all of eternity. As we celebrate heaven's champion. The one who has fought our battles. The one who has rescued us from our foes. Let's pick it up again in the next paragraph, verse uh, verse 50. He says this, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. 
there is something altogether new about our resurrection bodies. While there may well be continuity, there's also a beautiful discontinuity. You know, Joni Erickson Tata will run. A baby's life lost in the womb will be fully formed. Verse 52, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. What a remarkable moment. On that day when Christ returns, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, the dead in Christ, we will be raised imperishable, never to die and never to decay again. Verse 53 continues, For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. And when the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written. Here comes the victory song. In quoting from the Old Testament, this is a moment of celebration. This is the song that we sing at the victory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. Our, our great enemies, sin and death, have been defeated by Jesus. You know, the law of God given by God to his people reveals that we failed to live up to God's standard, to God's holy and good law. We've all sinned. The, the, the law reveals and shows the ways in which we've fallen short of the glory of God, the ways in which we have sinned. Our sins of omission and our sins of commission. Sins of omission when we fail to do, when we omit the things that we should be doing. The sins of commission when we commit the things and do the things that we shouldn't be doing. Sins of thought, of word and of deed. Sins where we break God's rules. Sins where we make up our own rules as if we are God. Sin where we fail to love and honour and worship and thank the God who gives us life and breath and everything. Sin when we fail to love our neighbour as ourself. And then because of sin, death has entered into the world. From that first sin in Adam, death continues to rule and continues to reign and continues to be the consequence for all who sin. In Romans 6, we read that the wages of sin is death. What does that mean? What you get, what you earn, a wage, what you get for the job that you've done, what you get for your sin is death. And so because we all sin, Scripture reveals that all sin. Human experience reveals that all have sinned. And our own hearts reveal that we have all sinned. And so because we all sin, we all deserve death. And yet Jesus, Jesus has taken the sting. Verse 57, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus is the only one of whom it can be said he was without sin. And so when Jesus not only lives on our behalf, when he dies, he dies on our behalf. Jesus, who is the true Adam, the second Adam, the last Adam, the true and better Adam, the one who has always lived under his father's rule and his reign. He goes to the cross and he dies the death of a sinner. And Jesus at the cross takes the sting of death upon himself, the sting of sin 
and death as he dies our death in our place for our sin. The law condemns us. We are sinners. Because we sin, we deserve death. And yet Jesus has paid it all. Jesus has removed the sting by being stung on our behalf. You see, those who trust in Christ, those who believe that Jesus lived for them and died for them and was raised from the dead, while we experience death in this life, we will not experience eternal death. Death must come in order to be raised imperishable. But Jesus, he has the victory and we share in his victory spoils. Jesus has defeated sin. Jesus has defeated death. Jesus has defeated Satan. At the cross, we we hear Jesus even cry out and say, it is finished, paid in full. He has come to complete the mission that his father has given to him. The penalty for sin, the sting of sin, death has been paid at the cross. And in Jesus' resurrection from the dead, we see proof that his death has worked. Vindication that he is the risen Lord of the universe. You know, last week we touched on it. We, we saw how Jesus' resurrection is the first fruit of the harvest to come. That is, it's the first fruit at the start of the season that, that guarantees there's a whole lot more fruit that is to come. Jesus' resurrection from the dead is radically different from Lazarus's resurrection from the dead, is radically different from Jairus's daughter and her resurrection from the dead. Both remarkable miracles performed by Jesus in the Gospels. They were raised from the dead to die again. They were resuscitations of sorts. Yes, they were dead. Lazarus had been in the tomb for four days. He stank. Lazarus come out. He was raised from the dead, yet he would die again. When Jesus calls us, when we are raised from the dead, when we take on our resurrection bodies, we will have an imperishable resurrection body as Jesus has an imperishable resurrection body. Jesus' resurrection from the dead guarantees your resurrection from the dead if you are one who belongs to Jesus. You see, the only way, hear this really clearly, the only way to 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 have a victorious resurrection is through Christ. We can't earn our own victory. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short. We're all deserving of death. And so we trust in him who took our death, who took our sting, who took our sin. What will our resurrection be like? It will be be glorious and it will be victorious. Do you long for something like this? Can can you see it? Do, Do you long for everlasting glory? So much better than anything you can imagine in this life. Do you long for a victorious resurrection, sharing in the spoils of the last Adam who has died, has been raised again, has victory over sin and death and Satan, that we be reconciled to him, that we would be restored in relationship with him, that we would be singing in the victory gathered around Jesus for all of eternity. The question is, have you put your trust in Christ? Remember, Paul began this whole section back at the start, chapter 15, verse 1. Now, I would remind you, brothers and sisters, of the gospel, the good news of Jesus. I preach to you which you received, in which you stand, 
and by which you are being saved if you hold fast to the word I preached to you unless you believed in vain. He spends 58 verses unpacking this glorious gospel, the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, the resurrection that is ours too when we believe in him, when we put our trust in him. Look, perhaps you're tuning in to City on a Hill Digital today and you've never put your trust in Jesus. Now, that could be a whole bunch of reasons why you find yourself in that position. Maybe you've been a churchgoer for a long time. Uh, maybe this is your first time you've had any experience of church. You're kind of able to be a little bit more anonymous and kind of sneak on in. And maybe this is the first time you've tuned in or maybe you've been tuning in for five, six months, six years. I don't know how long we've been doing this for, but you've, you've, you've been tuned in for a while and you're hearing this message on repeat of Jesus who lived, who died, who was raised. If you're not yet putting your trust in him, if you don't yet believe that he has lived for you, he's died for you and he's been raised for you, you do not have any guarantee of resurrection life. In fact, what scripture, what the Bible would say is all you can hope for if you are apart from Christ is hell and judgment for eternity. And that God is just and he is righteous. If the wages of sin is death and you haven't put your trust in Jesus who died for you, you will die for you. You'll be cut off from the good things of God. You'll be cut off from the glory of the resurrection. You'll be cut off from the victory that Jesus has won at the cross. If you'd love to talk more with someone specifically about Jesus and about how to follow him, how to take hold of the promise of resurrection life. Please send the word Jesus via SMS to the number that is on the screen. We'd love to get in touch with you. We'd love to explore Jesus with you. It might even be you're ready to become a Christian right now, today. We'd love to hear from you. So please SMS Jesus to the number on the screen. Well, as we conclude... While Scripture says that we are already raised with Christ spiritually, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6 says that we've already been raised with Him. So spiritually, if you are a follower of Jesus, trusting in Him, believing in His death and resurrection, you've already had a taste and you ha you're spiritually raised with Christ. And yet our glorious and victorious resurrection bodies are yet to come. And so we don't get to enjoy all of the benefits of resurrection life that we will get to enjoy for eternity. And so I want to conclude with this question. What do we do while we wait for that great day of resurrection? What do we do as our bodies waste away as we are overcome by brokenness and decay? What do we do while we wait? Yes, we long for it. Yes, we hope for it. Yes, we stand confident knowing that that day will certainly come and it will be a glorious and victorious day for all who trust in Jesus. But what do we do while we wait for that great day? Well, let me read to you from the, the final verse of the chapter quite a remarkable and practical application of the end of such a glorious chapter. Pick it up with me, verse 58. It says, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Just want to spend the last few minutes unpacking this remarkable concluding statement. So it begins there with the word therefore. Now, what is the therefore, therefore? Well, it's in, in view of this chapter on the resurrection. It's therefore because of the gospel, because Jesus died, was buried, 
was raised, appeared because of the certain hope that is yours if you believe in him. Because the tomb is still empty. Jesus is still alive. Our hope is still alive. Therefore, verse 58, in view of everything that we have just heard, therefore, what does he say to do? My beloved brothers, be steadfast and immovable. Paul's saying it's going to be okay. Even in the hardships that you face in a perishing world, it's going to be okay. And so stand firm. Let not the worries of this world shake you, move you, be steadfast, immovable. One of my favorite phrases that many of you may have heard before is the phrase, keep trusting Jesus. I regularly sign off an SMS or an email with the words, keep trusting Jesus. Therefore, my beloved brothers, because Jesus has died and been raised again, and because the tomb is still empty, and He rules and He reigns, and that glorious future, victorious future is certain, keep trusting Him. Keep trusting Jesus. And my hope is even in this moment, as we've spent three weeks unpacking the resurrection of Christ and the resurrection that is ours when we are in Christ, my hope and prayer is that this is helping you to keep trusting Jesus. Perhaps you're in Victoria right now and you're in lockdown 2.0 and there's lots to despair about. There's lots to be uncertain about. Perhaps you've just lost your job. Perhaps situation is about to get worse than you can imagine. The tomb is still empty. The gospel is still good news. Hope all the more for your resurrection that is to come. Be steadfast, immovable. Keep trusting Jesus. But then he goes on. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. It kind of goes from a whole chapter of major theological truth to something to do in response to it, something to give yourself to, something to to, to be motivated because of everything we just heard about in verses 1 to 57. Therefore, give yourself to the work of the Lord. Abound in the work of the Lord. You know, give yourself not, not just to any work, but to the work of the Lord. Now, uh, work in general matters, and we're told elsewhere in Scripture to do all that we do, whatever we do. We've seen this in chapter 10, whether we eat or we drink, we do it all to the glory of God. When we go to work, we work as if working for the Lord, Colossians chapter 3. But this command here, this response is more specifically the work of the Lord. And just to get an idea for how Paul uses that phrase, work of the Lord, we just need to read a few paragraphs further down. In chapter 16, verse 10, it says, When Timothy comes, see that you put him at ease among you, for he is doing the work of the Lord as I am. We can see from the way Paul uses this language, work of the Lord, he's speaking in particular about gospel ministry, about specifically building up the body of Christ in love, using our gifts to serve the body, making Jesus known that that the lost would be found. You know, abounding in the work of the Lord is is give yourself to that work as you encourage one another to keep trusting Jesus, as you serve one another in the church, and as you make known the message of Jesus to a lost world who desperately needs to hear it. You see, verse 58, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. 
we know how this story will end. We know as certain it is that Christ was raised from the dead. Remember the start of the chapter, over 500 people saw that Jesus was raised from the dead. As certain as we are as that happened in history and that Jesus continues to rule and continues to reign and will one day return and will give to us resurrection bodies as certain as that is, we can know therefore that our labor in the Lord is not in vain. Do you realize that gospel work? Now, I'm not just talking about a pastor of a church or a formal leadership role, but when we give ourselves to the gospel, when we give ourselves to encouraging people to be built up in it and making it known that others would come to put their trust in Jesus, we can know that this is the type of work that will echo into eternity. You know, when you call up a Christian friend, perhaps to engage them and see how they're tracking with the Lord, and perhaps in this season, this is an incredibly important time to call up a friend and see how they're tracking with the Lord. The tomb is still empty. Your labor is not in vain. You know what? When you awkwardly let your colleague know via Microsoft Teams or Zoom that you're a believer. The tomb is still empty. Your labor is not in vain. When you invite someone along to Alpha online, the tomb is still empty. Your labor is not in vain. You know, God willing, soon enough, we'll be back in church Uh, in the flesh, not just this online expression, but together. When that happens, praise the Lord. But when you turn up early on the logistics team, give yourself the gospel work by doing that work. The tomb is still empty. Your labor is not in vain. When you turn up to gospel community after a long day at work to discuss the things of Christ and to pray together, the tomb is still empty. Your labor is not in vain. When you drive your kids to youth group and help them to know Jesus and make Jesus known among their peers, the tomb is still empty. Your labor is not in vain. City on a hill, there are so many ways we can give ourselves to knowing Jesus and making Jesus known. And whenever we do that, in small ways and in big ways. Know that the tomb is still empty. Your labor is not in vain. Yes, our bodily resurrection will be glorious. Yes, our bodily resurrection will be victorious. But while we wait for that day, we give ourselves to the work of the Lord as we invite others to take hold of the glorious and victorious resurrection that Jesus promises to all who believe in him. C.T. Studd was an English cricketer. He played for England in the 1882 match won by Australia, which was the origins of the Ashes. Uh, He also had a law degree from Cambridge. Uh, The world was literally at his feet, an international cricketer, an impressive career, and yet challenged to a missionary career, forsaking cricketing fame and family fortune, he followed the famous missionary Hudson Taylor to China. He got seriously ill. He ended up going back to England, but he didn't stay long, so burdened to continue in missionary work. He went to Africa and he never came home. He died in the Congo. He gave his life to the work of the Lord by taking the message of Jesus to the world. I want to close with a poem written by C.T. Studd called Only One Life. Let me read it. Two little lines I heard one day, traveling along life's busy way, bringing conviction to my heart and from my mind would not depart. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. 
Only one life, yes, only one. Soon will its fleeting hours be done. Then in that day, my Lord to meet and stand before his judgment seat. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, the still small voice gently pleads for a better choice, bidding me selfish aims to leave and to God's holy will to cleave. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, a few brief years, each with its burdens, hopes and fears, each with its days I must fulfill, living for self or in his will. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. When this bright world would tempt me sore, when Satan would a victory score, when self would seek to have its way, then help me, Lord, with joy to say, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Give me, Father, a purpose deep in joy or sorrow, thy word to keep, faithful and true, whatever the strife, pleasing thee in my daily life. Only one life. It will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Oh, let my love with fervor burn and from the world now let me turn, living for thee and thee alone, bringing thee pleasure on thy throne. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, yes, only one. Now let me say thy will be done. And when at last I'll hear the call, I'll know, I'll say, twas worth it all. Only one life. It will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Let's pray together. God, would you give us eyes to see and believe that only one life will soon be passed and only what's done for Christ will last. Father, we thank you for these last three weeks and this glorious chapter about the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we are so thankful that because Christ died and was raised again, we get to share in his glorious resurrection. We get to be raised. We long for that day for our glorious bodies. And we long for singing in the victory for all of eternity. But Father, while we wait for that day and we pray that you'd speed its coming, may we hope all the more, may we stand firm in Jesus, steadfast, immovable, and may you help us to give our lives to the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord our labor is not in vain. Father, would you use us as, as a church, as a family of churches, as we seek to know Jesus and make Jesus known. Help us to continue to do this in all seasons of life. And Lord, we pray that you would speed the coming of your son, the Lord Jesus. And it's in his name that we all pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.